when people talk about distributed databases, CockroachDB tends to come up as something that really embodies the spirit of the cockroach. We covered Cockroach back in March, where we talked a little bit about consistent synchronous replication, but I really wanted to go deeper again into the origin story of Cockroach, as well as the problems that it solves, which are pretty subtle, but actually very important. In my entire career, it's been, I guess, since 97, when I graduated university, it's been alternating between building applications and wanting more from the database and then you know working on various infrastructure to support applications you know especially to address the needs that i'd seen in my previous iteration as an application developer and it became pretty clear early on that databases were going to be a major sticking point uh, in my career I, I remember taking a class at berkeley on databases and, and being you know, i found it interesting but it, it was something that you do for extra credits as opposed to something that was a true passion. But as soon as I got out in the industry, and I think it was my first startup in the dot-com boom, I started working with Postgres and Oracle, and it became immediately apparent that these things would need to be sharded for the scale that we had. So that was the first experience that I had of a database not having what it took to meet the application's sort of business requirements. And it's a pretty painful experience to shard a database for anyone that's done it. They sure can attest to this. When I went to Google in 2002, that was one of the very first projects that I was on, which was the AdWords database backend. So they were using MySQL, and that had originally started you know, as obviously just a single MySQL database, and it got too big for one, and so they created two of them and split up the customers that were using AdWords between those two, and then that went to four, which went to eight. And then after eight, it started to really have problems with just scalability. How many connections was each database having to service? And there were other problems, like how do you figure out where a customer is across all of the different database shards? And you know, that at the beginning, they just queried all the shards at once, but once they were at 16 or 24 or 32 shards, then the number of queries coming in just to find out where customers were when they're trying to log in with an email address was overloading the servers. And there, I mean, I'm just giving you the, the tip of the iceberg and the number of problems that were caused by that architecture. But uh, one way to look at how problematic it was is that it became an anti-pattern at Google. So somewhat of an outlawed architecture, and they didn't get off it for a good 10 years until they moved to Spanner eventually. And there was, when I was participating in the project, there was what they called the ads war room every morning, where people would try to stamp out the fires that had lit up overnight. <laughs> so it was just this endless uh, slog in order to make this MySQL database in the sort of application level sharding work properly. And what's interesting is that Facebook has had a similar architecture, as do many of the other big tech companies, because it's very obvious, right? You can put some customers on shard one, some on shard two, just keep track of where they are, and you can scale to a billion customers if necessary. And Facebook, of course, has scaled to billions of customers, and they are using vast, vast numbers of these shards. It makes Google's AdWords program or uh, deployment look pretty small, in fact. So it's a, it's a very popular way of doing things, but that was a, a great example of where databases just, you know, in their original incarnation, didn't meet the needs of many businesses. And that's becoming, of course, even more common in, in 2020 than it was in 2002. 
So at Google, again, I actually didn't just do the backends and the database related stuff. I also worked on various applications over that time and eventually found my way into building infrastructure for a distributed file storage. And then when I left Google, I did a startup, which was private photo sharing. So definitely on the application side. And that's where the idea of Cockroach showed up because we'd seen over 10 years. And I say we, because it's me and the same co-founders I have for Cockroach, we left Google and we did this startup and then we went to Square together. We've been a, traveling as a pack for a long time. But you know, we, we came to a conclusion when we left Google that the existing database options in open source were pretty far behind what Google had been aggressively working towards with you know, ambitious research and development projects during our tenure there. And that inspired us, right? Because we saw what Google had had reached by 2012, which was the first time that Spanner was starting to hit production. We saw them build Bigtable before that. We saw Bigtable morph into Megastore. We saw the early uh, you know, attempts at finding the point into the solution space, which, which eventually became Spanner. And all of that was significantly more advanced than what existed in the open source world in 2012. So we tried looking at HBase. We looked at MongoDB. We looked at React, we looked at Cassandra, and that's where the idea of CockroachDB was born. It's like, okay, can we build something in open source that we could use for this project and that lots of people could use for their projects, which has a lot of the same capabilities and guarantees as the advanced databases Google had been building, you know, in particular resilience, scale, and even this idea that there exists locality to data. So you might have customers in the EU and customers in the US and you have to service them differently and store their data differently. All of those ideas in one single package that was open source, that's, that was the manifesto. And Cockroach is an example of our kind of, what I call it in 2004. It was just immediately apparent that that NoSQL model without transactions was going to be a, a difficult hurdle for a lot of applications that really did need transactions in order to maintain correctness. One of the big lessons at Google, I think this is just true everywhere nowadays, but when you have scale, if something can go wrong, it absolutely will go wrong. And it will go wrong quickly and it will metastasize into a major problem. So the, the MongoDB of 2012, and it's introduced transactions in the years since, but at that point, it felt like that architecture was uh, going to cause more problems than it would solve. So, you know, Cassandra had similar deficiencies. They also didn't have that. This is actually pretty much a feature of NoSQL not to have transactions in those days. Um, now it's increasingly a feature of NoSQL systems. I'll give you an example. FaunaDB is one uh, where it's built, and FoundationDB was another, where it was built from the ground up with transactions. And that, I think, is a realization that NoSQL was about allowing elastic scalability. And that was a big capability that was new to the market. But it gave up a lot of things. You might not like SQL, right? But everyone likes transactions if you're an application developer, assuming you know what they are. And, and that was one of the things they gave up early on because it, you know it's complicated, difficult, adds latency, difficult to get the model right. It was essentially just simpler to ignore that stuff. And you can build lots of interesting applications that don't need transactions. But what you also realize is that you might start not needing them, but you quickly find ways to introduce new functionality that starts to break if you don't have transactions. 
So that was Google's experience. And Megastore introduced basic transactions, and then Spanner introduced very general purpose transactions. And so that was one of the big sticking points for us with NoSQL. You know, in 2012, we'd just come from a world where transactions were you know, seen as a necessity. So to exit Google and find that there was a bunch of open source stuff that kind of looked the way Google looked in 2004, 2005, was a, was a little bit depressing, honestly. You mentioned one thing that you were doing was partitioning or sharding your databases. So do you have transactions across those partitions? Did you, how did you manage that? Yeah, absolutely. And that was a big problem with the, the AdWords system. You know, because it was composed of multiple independent MySQL databases, you could within one database have transactions. And believe me, they did have transactions and that was very important. You know, the, the problem was that they quickly found use cases where they wanted to do transactions across these shards. And what, what that forced them to do is make other decisions architecturally so that all the data they could ever do a transaction between had to be on one shard, which didn't always work. For example, some customers, I believe like eBay, that had so many ads on, on AdWords, they wouldn't fit onto a single shard. So they, <laughs> without transactions that are general purpose, you inevitably, if you're succeeding, will find ways that your model's going to break. So that was definitely the experience at AdWords. And that wasn't the only problem. Another example is SQL gives you this amazing ability to ask the database for data in a sort of declarative fashion instead of imperative. And the database is going to you know, use its smarts, whatever it's got, to go fetch the data and combine it in as efficient a manner as, as it's capable of. But that's only true for a, you know, within a single shard. You couldn't do queries across these shards because these databases didn't know about each other. And there was no sort of centralized brain that could schedule this work and, and have it be done efficiently. And that's essentially what Cockroach is. It's that brain that uses a lot of machines and moves the data around them and schedules and optimizes and so forth. It, it is that thing that didn't exist. So what you have to do in a case like Google back in 2002 with this AdWords system is you got to try to build some of that in at the application level. Put as much as you can on one shard and then where you have to go across shards, you have to do it as a programmer, as an application developer, which is difficult to get right and then very difficult to maintain. 